Well, good morning, everybody. I want to add my own welcome this morning. Those of you online, thanks for joining us. Those of you here for the Christmas pageant, good morning to you. I don't know about you. I think a lot of you feel like I do. It's just not Christmas until I see a dancing camel (laughs) and a kid dressed as a star, right? Christmas may begin now. And uh, those of you that have kids and grandkids up here this morning, uh, let me just say, your kids are super cute. Um, Some of them have the attention span of a three-year-old, but they are super uh, cute. Uh, I told the last service, uh, do you have any idea how much better sermons would be if people smiled and waved at preachers the way they smile and wave at children? Uh, Kind of be, oh, thank you, uh, thank you for that. Uh, to the regulars of Ward Church, welcome and Merry Christmas season. If you read the actual Christmas story from the Bible in its entirety, you will notice a striking phrase woven throughout. There's a little two-word instruction that appears in every chapter of the Christmas story, and it's not what we usually think of when we think of Christmas. The most frequently repeated two-word phrase in the Christmas story is not swaddling clothes or baby Jesus or on sale. The most frequently repeated two-word phrase in the Christmas story is fear not. Zechariah chapter 1 in Luke's gospel is told that he and his wife are going to have a baby in their advanced years. Very shocking news indeed. And to this nervous senior citizen, the angel says, fear not. Uh, Mary is told that she will uh, give birth to a child who will be the savior of the world. And to this terrified teenager, the angel says, this is the audience participation portion of the... (laughs) To that teenager, the angel said, Joseph is gripped in inner turmoil about whether he should take this woman as his wife after it's discovered that she is pregnant. And to this young man trying to do the right thing, the angel said... Shepherds are keeping watch over their flock at night, minding their own business, when God pulls them into the greatest story ever told and makes them eyewitnesses to the miracle of the incarnation. And those shepherds feel so out of place. They feel so unworthy. And the angel said to those shepherds, four times in the Christmas story, somebody is told to not be afraid. Which makes me think that song that we sing at Christmas time that says, all is calm, may not be entirely accurate. There was a lot of fear on that first Christmas. Not only is fear not the most frequently given command in the Christmas story, it is the most frequently given command in the entire Bible, Old and New Testaments, did you know that? Regular churchgoers, we might assume that the most frequently given command in the Bible would be to love others or sin less, or avoid pride, or forgive others. Uh, And the Bible has a lot to say about all of those topics. But in terms of frequency, the most frequently given command in all the Bible, fear not. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Fear not. And I think the reason for that is because fear is why we don't do what God asks us to do. The primary reason that we don't do what God asks us to do is fear. And so today we're going to talk about courage. God grant me the courage to change the things I can. That's the second line of the famous prayer that's guiding us this Advent season. 
uh, often called the Serenity Prayer. And if you'd like to get a copy of that famous Serenity Prayer that you can make like your phone wallpaper so you have it with us throughout Advent season, you can uh, text the word Serenity to this number, 248-636-2374. You can do it right now if you like. I don't mind. And you can uh, get a link and download it as I have so you've got that famous prayer right there on your phone. The Serenity Prayer has been adopted as one of the core statements of recovery programs like Alcoholics Anonymous and Celebrate Recovery. But it's a great prayer for everybody, and I want you to see it again, at least the first three lines. In fact, I'd like you to uh, say aloud with me the first three lines of the Serenity Prayer. Let's say this together, Serenity Prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. And last week we talked about the serenity to accept, and we looked at the story of Mary in the Bible who modeled this trait uh, so well. When you accept a call from God as Mary did, you will discover as she did that accepting God's path for your life also means accepting a host of things, great and small, that are outside of your control. And so over the course of Advent, we're kind of practicing this as a spiritual discipline to say in the Christmas season, God, grant me the serenity to accept traffic, long lines, my age, my background, uh, other people, the economy, all kinds of things that are outside of our control. Today we're going to look at the second line, God grant me the courage to change the things I can change, and then next week, God give me the wisdom to know the difference between the two. So today we're going to look at Joseph's story. Uh, He modeled courage at so many turns. When the call of God came to Joseph, as it does to each one of us, there's a decision to make, yes or no. Courage or fear? Joseph's story begins uh, this way. Mary was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit, and then you heard read this morning this text, because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had a mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, Do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. Now, for anybody, marriage is a sobering commitment. 27 years ago, when I was working up the nerve to ask Angie to be my wife, I had this quick fear that hit me. What if she says no? I'm not sure I could handle that kind of rejection. I can't imagine my life without her? What if she says no? And on the heels of that was a second fear, what if she says yes? I'd be kind of locked in. My course would be determined. What if I'm not a good husband? What if it doesn't work out? Marriage is a courageous commitment for anybody, but for Joseph, it was doubly so. Joseph, this righteous man, finds out that his fiancée is pregnant and he knows it's not by him. They live in a small town. If Joseph marries a pregnant girl, he will lose his righteous reputation. He will lose his identity. His life 
will be entirely different than the way he thought it was going to be. And notice when the angel showed up, the angel showed up after he had considered this. Seems like the angel could have saved Joseph a lot of sweat and anxiety and worry had the angel showed up a few minutes earlier. Anybody notice that God's word tends to show up a little later than you want it to? After he had considered this. Now, I I think this might have been intentional because Joseph is going to have to face fear and danger and uncertainty the rest of his life. We think that courage means not being afraid. Not true. Courage means acting even though you're afraid. Following God in the presence of fear. G.K. Chesterton, a great Christian writer, said that courage is a strong desire to live taking the form of a readiness to die. Courage is a strong desire to live taking the form of a readiness to die. Another Christian writer has said, a commitment to Jesus is a commitment to the constant recurrence of fear in your life because Jesus always calls us to step outside our comfort zone. And so, a commitment to Jesus is a commitment to the constant recurrence of fear in your life. Isn't that good news? Aren't you glad you came today? Joseph says yes to God, and he takes uh, Mary home to be his wife, but that's not the end of his fear. It's only the beginning. He says yes, and a little while later, an angel appears to Joseph again and says to Joseph, get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you. For Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So now Joseph has said, yes, he will be the protector of Mary and this child. And now he learns that a madman, an evil leader, ruler, is after this child. Fear. But he goes to Egypt. He's obedient. He pushes through. He does what he's told. And then Herod dies. Another angel shows up and says, it's time to go back to Israel. Herod is gone. But it's not the end of fear because the next line says this. But when Joseph heard that Archelaus, the son of Herod, who was every bit as evil as Herod was, when Archelaus was reigning in Judea in place of his father, Joseph was afraid to go there. Joseph lives in constant risk and danger. Joseph experiences the fear of a parent. I remember, maybe you do too, uh, taking a child home from the hospital for the first time. My wife and I are there, and, 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 a, and a nurse and doctor has been caring for our baby. And there's that day where they say, you're, you're going home with the baby. And we were like, you're not coming with us? You're going to let us go without a professional? That is irresponsible of you. How could you do that, right? Uh, uh, Joseph had all the fear that every parent feels multiplied by a thousand. It's interesting in the Christmas story, in the Bible, Joseph never speaks. He's never given a line to say in the Christmas story. Everyone else in the story gets a line. Mary, Zechariah, Elizabeth, Herod the Great, Even the shepherds get to say something. Joseph alone in the Bible is silent. Maybe he's a quiet man. Maybe he's shy. Maybe he's the strong, silent type. He just does what he's asked to do. God grant me the courage. And here's the key whenever you are afraid. 
From the beginning, the angel gives to Joseph a reason not to fear. Joseph, uh, so, uh, uh, the angel says, don't be afraid, Joseph, because what's conceived in you, what's conceived, <laughs> yeah, what's conceived in Mary, what's conceived in Mary, that would be a miracle, wouldn't it? If, uh, <laughs> can you imagine how much courage Joseph would need if the angel had said, you will bear a child who will be, uh, Joseph would, he'd be out of the story. What the angel said was, do not be afraid, Joseph, because what is conceived in Mary is from the Holy Spirit, and you are to give to him the name Jesus. Jesus is with you. You will never be alone. You do not have to face this on your own. The call is not to try to conjure up courage, try to manufacture it by willpower. Joseph was the very first to hear these words, and now they're spoken to you. Do not be afraid, Jesus is with you. You are not alone. So the question for all of us this morning is where does God want to give me courage to change? Think it over. Where is it God wants to give me courage to change? And I want you to be inspired this morning. And there's a man in our church named Gene who's been a steady source of inspiration to me and he's agreed to tell his story this morning. Uh, please watch the screen. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference just for today. My name's Gene, I'm an alcoholic. I was born from an intact family in southeast rural Ohio. We didn't have any much. I went to the service, I came back, I used the GI Bill, and uh, I found education. I came to Detroit for the opportunity to, to earn a living. I didn't know anybody, I wasn't connected. All I did was put my head down and work. So in some way, shape, or form, I'm the American dream. I worked till the age of 71, and I led for 40 years large sales and engineering groups and traveled all over the world. I had one speed, and uh, you know, I was, I was driven to get the job done, and I did, and I was rewarded handsomely for that. But uh, a lot of times it wasn't very much fun to be around. My whole career was a series of highs and lows, right? Sales is the perfect career to get on the treadmill, and you can, be, you, you, know, you can drink when you're down, and uh, things aren't going perfectly, and you can drink when you have something to celebrate. So, you know, alcohol and sales for many of us went together in excess. The risk is that you can be uh, materially successful and career-wise successful and spiritually bankrupt. You know, you have a job, a car, and a house, a country club membership, it seems like everything's just okay, but, uh, you know, once you go, disease progresses and you go through that phase, then there's no going back. You can't, uh, you can't make a, a cucumber a pickle again. So, uh, so how do you know that when that happens? Uh, well, it always begins with a lie. You know, you begin to tell yourself a lie. I'm not that bad. You know, uh, you begin with a, a moral decay. I'll never do that. And then the bar is lowered and I'll never do that. And then you lower the bar again and you do that. And that's a continued progression of the decline of the moral compass. So I had walked away from God. Clearly my lifestyle and God's expectations didn't fit. My religion was transactional. I'd come, throw a few bucks in a plate, and hope that was enough to get me through to the other side. Uh, but I had no intention of living 
the way that most of us do. We use the term high-end drunk sometimes, and I believe we're all like the people on the Titanic. When we hit the water, we all have the same problem. You know, we're cold and we don't know how to swim. And that's, that is the essence of alcoholism. We don't know how to exist in life without alcohol any longer. I knew I was going to lose my license. There was a strong possibility that I was going to jail. I was going to lose my job, my position in the community, my ability to earn money. I had been to the, in the hospital for heart trouble. I had $100,000 in credit card debt at that point, and I was still in denial that I was an alcoholic. I was just a good old boy having fun. My finally hit bottom was uh, October 13, 2006. That was when uh, my wife left, took all her stuff and most of mine. The consequences of my actions uh, were real to me. In the past, they had not been real. I've been able to lie my way, talk by my way, talk my way out of the consequences of my drinking in the past. And that wasn't the case at this time. So, I mean, I stood in front of the judge, not knowing if I was going to go out the door behind me. Most alcoholics have the same fears. The number one fear is they don't know how to deal with life, personal situations, and what's going on in their head without alcohol. So I could not imagine a life without drinking. If you'd have told me I wouldn't have drank, I mean, I told you you were, you'd have made a lot of money betting the other way on me being sober. But uh, those are the fears that we bring in, fear of economic insecurity, fear of isolation. I'm never gonna be around people again socially. We use alcohol as a crutch and you can't imagine throwing the crutch away and walking on your own. I had to turn a lot more things over to God than I was used to. I went to treatment and all those uh, things that I didn't want to do had a certain accountability that I needed. The courts had one level of accountability. Treatment had another level of accountability. Uh, AA had another level of accountability. But I had to do all those things to modify the behavior and thinking that I had adapted over all those years. Treatment taught me about my disease. AA taught me to stay sober. You can't get sober without God. Uh, it's impossible. Chapter four of the big book says the objective of this program is to find a higher power. God has everything to do with my recovery. I'm sober today through the grace of God and the support of Alcoholics Anonymous. That's why I'm sober. Nothing that I did. I was worried when I uh, retired that I would start drinking again because I'd have all this time on my hands and I don't do well unsupervised. I learn slow and forget quick. That's so why I go to a meeting every day and I come to church on Sunday and it's working. I used to come to church to know about God. Now I come to church to know God. And uh, I used to come to church and now, uh, you know, I'm part of church. And the, being part of the church is, is really, really great. We met some wonderful people here. We're involved in service and we do Forgotten Harvest. She's playing with shoeboxes now. We did some of the deliveries during COVID time. We were downtown. Uh, we do some things with Central Detroit Christian. We do some deliveries for them. Just whatever they need. I mean, I can drive and she can carry. So between the two of us, we make one person. We do help where we can. One of the most important things that the church can do is to help people connect with the right resources and the right people. Use the vast network of the church to make a difference in, in the lives of recovering alcohol. If you're listening to this and you have a problem, my message is you can do it. You're not alone. You know, 
get to a meeting, get to treatment, uh, and put your feet under the table, listen, and follow suggestions. You hear our story, and you decide you're one of us, you know, we're here and we're willing to help. The whole purpose of Alcoholics Anonymous is to stay sober and help other alcoholics. And that's it. That's what we do. Gene said, you can do it, you're not alone, and I believe him. I'd like you to wrestle with this question, what, what's the truth about myself that I am most afraid to face up to, that God is calling me to face? What's the truth about myself that I am most afraid to face, that God is calling me to face? For Gene, it was his addiction. And that was the beginning of his adventure with God. What is it for you? For Joseph, it was the moment of his greatest fear, do not be afraid, that became the beginning of his adventure. So where is it that you need to ask God for courage right now? Maybe it's with your body. Maybe it's with your anger. Maybe it's with your money. Maybe it's confessing a sin. Maybe it's having the courage to serve or volunteer. God, grant to me the courage to change. If God is calling you to face a habit, uh, an addiction, a trauma, a dependency, then I encourage you to check out Celebrate Recovery. That community, which meets here on Thursday nights, will give you a dose of courage for whatever it is that you face, and they will do it without judgment. Uh, today, after this worship service, we have representatives from our Celebrate Recovery that'll be at the kiosk, at the current Focus kiosk, right here in the hallway. If you head out and turn right, you can talk with them after this service a little more about Celebrate Recovery. Again, Celebrate Recovery isn't just for people with addictions, though it is for people with addictions. It's for anyone with hurts, habits, and hang-ups, and I can't uh, recommend that strong enough to you. Or maybe, for some of you, the courage you need is to invite Jesus into your life. Fear has held you back from offering yourself to God fully. It's been fear. And maybe your prayer is that God would give you courage to do that. Our God is in the courage-providing business. I want you to watch for what one commentator has called the Christmas pattern, the, the Christmas pattern. Imagine one day that God speaks to you. And maybe it's not an angel through whom God speaks, but you know that God spoke. Maybe you're not even sure how you know, but you know, and whatever it is, it requires you to go outside your comfort zone. You know God is asking you to take a risk. If you follow the Christmas pattern, your very first reaction will be fear. You will make an excuse. You will choose to believe that you did not hear God or did not hear God accurately. And then in the Christmas pattern, God will say to you, fear not, I am with you. You can do this with God's help. This will be for you the adventure of a lifetime. And God's I am with you will beat any excuse that you can offer. Zachariah said, I'm too old. Mary said, I'm too young. Joseph said, I'm just a tradesman. The shepherds said, we're nobodies. But they pushed through their fear they laid aside their excuses. They believed that God would be with them, and they did what they were asked to do. In the Christmas pattern, then, fear turns into joy. 
In spite of the frequent reference to fear, the dominant mood of Christmas is joy. Angels sang, all of creation rejoiced, and you can too. I do not know what you're facing. I don't know what you're afraid of. But I do know that our God is in the courage-providing business. Let's pray together. Well, God, you know for everybody here where it is that they need courage. I pray that you would bring far beyond human capacity the knowledge that Jesus is present. And if Jesus is here with me, Jesus and I can face anything together that life has to throw at me. God, may Jesus be born in everybody who's listening to these words. God, grant to us the serenity to accept the things we cannot change, courage to change the things we can, and the wisdom to know the difference. We pray this in the life-altering name of Jesus Christ our Lord. And everybody agreed and said, Amen.